0: This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same or maybe you long to. All right. Today's guest is Deputy Stan White, and he is a sheriff of a Missouri Ozarks County, and he's also a trapper and a fur buyer. I found him because I was planning our road trip to Denver and we were going to cross through Missouri. So I decided to look on the Missouri Trappers Association website, and he was the um, first person to respond to me reaching out. So I had a great time talking with him. I wanted to say thank you to everyone who wrote a review for uh, last week's episode after speaking with Victoria from Cedar Hill Homestead. That was a pretty powerful story. And that was the second stop on our road trip, our podcasting road trip. The third is here today in Missouri. And the fourth stop is in Topeka, Kansas, where I'm speaking with Joanne Bauman, who is a prairie herbalist. And she tells a pretty remarkable story about uh, her Lakota ancestry and being part of a group ritual to heal, to heal the Pain of war that is on on land to heal the land, really remarkable. So you'll be looking. That's a good one to look forward to. I've decided that after uh, Joanne's podcast, to take a break from the podcasting road trip on our way to Denver and back, so that we can have a special October Halloween episode. I've been emailing folklorists in West Virginia, and I'm really excited to see who I, can, who I can get on the podcast and to hear about the Appalachian superstitions, Appalachian witchcraft, and of course, Appalachian ghost stories, because it really seems like ghosts have been a major theme on this podcast, which wasn't planned. And yeah, I'm finding it interesting how far away this podcast is getting from nature, but I'm enjoying it. So the night before we interviewed uh, Deputy White, we were staying at an Airbnb in Silver Dollar City in Missouri. And I was cooking dinner. It was late. It was a long drive. We were exhausted. And my girlfriend was out back. And she was having a little break and a cigarette. I was cooking dinner. And she was taking a while to come back inside. So I like popped my head out. I was looking, looking around for her. And it was, it's kind of suburban. It's like wooded and suburban in Silver Dollar City. And she had her head, my headlamp on, and she was looking out into the woods and she kind of whispered, Hey, come down, come down, come down. So I rushed down and uh, she was looking at an armadillo that was very focused and busy uh, foraging under all the leaves, I guess for grubs and whatnot. And I got my phone out and we actually recorded on my phone this armadillo, turning a log over by ramming it with its head. It would actually stick its head down in the ground, like under the leaves and slam the log to try to roll it. And this was hilarious to watch, but it, cause it was doing it with such force, like a little rhino. And finally it did overturn that log. And then it went berserk. It went into like a feeding frenzy as the log was completely covered in ants and ants were crawling all over the armadillo and the armadillo is just gobbling these up in, in heaps with its funny little, funny little long mouth. And so that was probably the coolest wildlife experience on our whole road trip. And the arm, you know, I was only like three feet away from this armadillo by the time I was shoveling in these ants. And, you know, I didn't even know that there were armadillos in America. And I certainly did not know that they were as close to Virginia as Tennessee and Missouri. And then I guess they're in Texas and all all down the South. I had no idea. So it's really, really cool to have a, anytime you have a new encounter, anytime you have an encounter with a new species, it's special. So that was very cool. My girlfriend actually uh, looked up on YouTube and we found out that some folks um, down South, and then I actually had people on Instagram tell me that, that uh, people on Instagram who live in South America and in Mexico tell me that armadillo is a delicacy and that people will cook them up just on a fire. And, um, I guess the Southern term that we found on YouTube, which was hilarious is it's often referred to the meat is referred to as possum on a half shell. So we love that. You know, we love hearing all these kind of, uh, folk tradition, tradition, uh, stories and uses and stuff like that. I love that stuff. So the next morning we start driving over to the deputy's house and he calls me a bunch early in the morning and he's asking for my full name because he wants to do a background check on me. Just, you know, he's got a stranger showing up to his house. He wants to make sure I'm not a complete whack job. And, um, you know, I'm a very paranoid and neurotic person. So just, uh, there was a part of me that thought I might show up to this guy's house and I might get arrested. Like who knows for what? for some bad deed in my imagination and some bad deed in past life, who knows? And that made me think a bit about the concept of shadow, which um, you might have heard throughout this podcast that I'm very interested in the work of of Carl Jung and his psychoanalysis. And I'm in uh, dream analysis on a weekly basis. And one of Jung's major concepts is that of the shadow, which is from his point of view, it is in everybody. And basically the shadow is our dark side. And yes, that encapsulates, uh, incredibly dark things. It encapsulates, you know, jealousy that we're unconscious of, uh, criminality, you know, the very meek person who one day pops and, you know, slaughters their whole family you know, what was going on with their shadow. It was dormant and then it came alive. It was unconscious perhaps, you know, the, uh, something that's been coming up quite a lot with shadow is that of the dark mother of the devouring mother of the suffocating mother who doesn't want her children to, um, who doesn't want her children to engage and succeed with life. So these are just a handful of examples of what shadow is, but it, it's also not always so nefarious. You, shadow can also be seen as just unconscious talents or unconscious possibilities for life. So for instance, I stopped drawing for 15 years and I thought I sucked at drawing. And the whole time, a little shadow part of me is saying, hey, we should start drawing again. And you know, now you know I have a, and I, my career is illustrating so the shadow can just be dormant dormant talents that which we don't know about ourselves um or we re- sorry that which we repress in ourselves so um i guess i bring that up why i thought of that with this podcast is because um you know showing up to a sheriff's house there's a part of me that knows that there is a bad guy inside of me that and we talk about it a bit with the sheriff regarding, um, you know, some crime that's going on currently in in his community. But I can empathize because uh, I feel as though there is a part of me which which is bad. There is a part of me that is a drug addict that, fortunately, I can overpower and I don't have to let that part take over. But you know, I drank to oblivion for ten years of my life. Every time I drank, I would I would black out. So what is that? That is like wanting to dissolve into oblivion, to not engage with life. So there's a part of me that is a drug addict. And what's hard with shadow is the projection of shadow because I often really hate people who have squandered their lives. Um, You know, a drug addict who is just, who is how do you say this? Who is just um, wasting life? And why do I hate that? And why do I hate seeing that in someone? Because it's in me. There's a part of me that w- that wants to disappear from life. And in me, there's also a bum. There's a homeless person in me that again doesn't want to engage with society. That like the raccoon just wants to get by, you know, um, by making you know not even making ends meet, just by scavenging and uh, just kind of slinking through life. Just you know, sleeping in derelict buildings. I can feel that there's a part of me that wants to escape that way as well, and even more so. I know there's probably a criminal in me as well. That that everything that is good and everything is bad exists in every single human being, and it's just about being conscious of it and um, being conscious of it and knowing how to restrain the darker sides and how to, uh, I guess, amplify the good sides, to choose, to make choice in every moment of life. And I guess I mention all that because it's fascinating to hear what a sheriff's point of view is a little bit, that I'm, I'm sure because you're dealing with the darker side of life, perhaps on a daily or definitely weekly basis, that I wonder what that does to one's worldview. and. You know, when we showed up at the sheriff's house, he told us at the very end, you know, I think he liked us by the time he left. I think he liked us a lot. But he said that when we first arrived, he actually thought that we might be meth heads because we're both so skinny. And that's kind of a, uh, that's, that's a, um, anomaly out in the country where a lot of folks are overweight because of lack of resources for good, good food and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so interviewed the sheriff and I would be curious to kind of interview the opposite at some point. I'd love to interview someone who has had a criminal streak or been in jail. And if they have a relationship to nature, just kind of hear their point of view on life as well. And I guess I was also really encouraged. Well, it's not the right word. I guess I was really I think it was really beautiful to hear the sheriff, even when he's talking about people in his community who are uh, have a lot of troubles, that he, you, I hope you'll hear it too, but he doesn't villainize them. He says these are good people and that they're just trying to get by. I thought that was really beautiful. And I think perhaps, uh, you know, I have a romantic view of, of country people, but I, I wonder, is the country sheriff is he more connected to his community than a city police officer? And I kind of feel it is, he is. And you you might hear that too on what he says, that there's really a, he really cares about the people in his community. He understands them, he understands what they're doing and he wants better for other people. <laughs> And can you describe a little bit,
1: for the people listening, can you tell us where we are? Basically, we're in the Ozarks, as per se. Um, Anything south of Springfield, Missouri, which sits on the first plateau, is related to more prairie. From south of Springfield to our big lakes, which is Beaver and Table Rock and Bill Shows, uh, and Lake North Fork, uh, that's the Ozarks. And the Ozarks extends into... Oklahoma, and um, and quite a ways into Arkansas. But uh, it's mostly rural. There is— uh, It's beautiful here. Yes. This is my first time ever through coming to the Ozarks. Uh, our Probably our largest city in Berry County would be Monette, and I think the population is a little over 8,000. Uh, Cassville's population is a little over 6,000. And then we have much smaller towns, uh, Washburn, Seligman, uh, that are— under a thousand in population, uh, but it's very rural, very dense. We have a lot of national forests.
0: Yep, uh, we drove
1: through a lot of that. Yeah, and it's and it's, just just right here. So we're
0: recording on your porch, and we got a we got a storm coming through. So we're hoping that everything stays dry. But it's a it, you'll hear it a, a rumbling in the background. But you know, you know, we're on a main country road, but you know, no one's driving by. We got fields. We've got you, your cattle behind us. We got your chicken coop back there, and you can kind of see some rolling hills and
1: kind of rolling mountains right. past your backyard. So this is very rural. We have it's 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 populating now because of a lot of people do uh, want to get away. Sure, because of the uh, virus, or even before that. Well, no, even before that, you're seeing more and more older people that are uh, they just want peace and quiet. Sure. And, um, uh, but the highway out in front of us is is a state highway that dead ends, uh, as far as they're, uh, taking care of it, you know, asphalt and everything. And the rest of the roads are dirt. Mm. Sorry, they're yep. rocks. We and, live on a dirt road. So I love we, it. We oh, have lightning. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of limestone ledges and rocks, and, boy, that ought to record it good. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, that was nice.
1: <laughs> but um, it's, still, it's still real. It's still, I mean, if my neighbor, Kenneth, down the road um, got in trouble, uh, needed something, that's where we go. We go to help. Uh, my best buddy who lives just north of, of us here, uh, he's like a brother. Uh, if he needs something or I need something, the people...
0: Community-oriented. Yes. And you as the deputy, obviously, uh, you you have a larger role in the community.
1: They do respect the fact that even as old as I am, that I'm here because the car itself and the verbal news that I'm a deputy mm-hmm. deters mm-hmm. most of... Shenanigans. Uh, right. Shenanigans are, you know, uh, we have a... On further south of here, we have uh, some drug buying areas uh, that encompasses one of our local creeks, and they, those people, rely on uh, mm-hmm. me or an officer making a patrol through there just to keep everybody on their toes. I guess you'd say they're
0: they're dealing the drugs out of a house or literally out of the
1: out of the creek. They deal the bridges. They'll use them for drug drug use uh, for sales. A lot of times that it would be a drop point Hmm. uh, for pick the drugs up and leave the cash. Um, Is it mainly meth? What's the big drug out here? uh, Meth. uh, We're beginning to see. uh, Begin of all things, we're beginning to see cocaine again Hmm. uh, because fentanyl is expensive and deadly. Hmm. So cocaine will mix with meth. Uh, for a super high and it can be deadly too Mm. but the drugs the drugs are here uh basically the people that wow the people that sell are are used um are people that have just gotten to the point where they have no other choice uh Everybody says it starts with marijuana. That's not probably true. But nevertheless, once you start, it's almost impossible to stop. The harder uh, drugs. The, the the drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Destitute folks, huh? Destitute poor well, folks. They were good people. Mm. I see a lot of my old friends that were good people, and now, because of the usage, they're still good people. But they'll do anything to get the drug. Hmm, That's sad. That's unfortunate. It is. Um,
0: do you, you Here's a weird question because you're a trapper. Do you ever use your tracking skills when it comes to, like, solving crimes?
1: Yes. <laughs> um, Woo! Wow. We, we get that one by us, and it sounds like the rain in front is not too bad. Heavy, but uh, you definitely don't want to be under a tree right now. No. <laughs> um, should we look just to
0: see if it's getting how heavy it is back there? All right. Well, we're back. We had a pause for a hell of a storm there. Yeah. Yeah. It I mean, rained. I had, to co- I had to cover the computer with a with a sheet, and the rain was kind of dribbling th- even in under this porch. It um, it rained. <laughs> That's all we can say is it rained. I was asking you have you ever used your tracking skills to to
1: solve um a crime? Yes, we we don't have the um uh the, say the county is not rich enough to bring in a trained animal. So we do do a lot of our tracking uh in-house or with with uh, deputies. Um due to the fact that it is the ozarks and distances can be quite short from 20 foot maybe to you know 100 feet if you're chasing somebody or trying to find somebody like that and that is a real handicap and the other handicap is is that we don't have the manpower on each shift that we truly need but barry county happens to be one of the poorer counties of the being the third largest in the state of Missouri it happens to be one that has uh, one of the lowest tax bases um, so yes we do uh, we do watch or look for human print uh, be it shoe or bear and um, well barefoot you mean yeah a mm-hmm. lot of people that flee are barefooted and uh, wow which is good because we can that helps slow them down and but but uh, generally speaking because of covering for the other officers and everything uh, we stay reasonably close together and uh, move as fast as we can by uh, indications from brush being knocked down or something turned over or just because we can see the fugitive at times so we know what direction he's going and uh, but uh, it's, yeah, uh, so
0: so just like when you're tracking an animal, you would be looking for, like, brush. The grass would be, you know, if you see it right, kind of broken, uh-huh. if you see, uh, you know, any broken branches
1: on trees and stuff like that. Even, uh, even trees that are uh, small brushes are particularly interesting because a lot of times we have come to where uh, you can actually see the bush rebounding yet. Well, that's a pretty good indicator of which direction he's going, you know, and... Um most of the people that would be, they would have warrants and they don't want to be caught, but they also have deficiencies in their diet and in their use of drugs and stuff, which generally, not always, but generally will allow us to gain ground and, and eventually run them into the ground and catch them um, for that reason, because they just aren't physically fit to handle what we deal with out here
0: now the main crimes out here are drug related a lot of the yes,
1: okay. I would say that uh, probably seventy five percent or more if they're not drug related they are abated by drug use uh we are seeing a lot more fraud hmm. uh, our shoplifting has gone up uh at least a hundred percent um
0: I told you on the way here, last night we were driving. it was probably nine o'clock at night. and I don't think i've I don't think I've ever called the police. and I lived in a pretty um, i I lived in a pretty intense neighborhood in Brooklyn where I've, I mean I saw a guy get shot in the leg. but I don't think I've ever called the police in my life, but last night we were driving and and we're on a highway at night, and I think I saw a guy walking the highway very intensely with the silver thing in his grip. and I was like, I think that's a revolver. And like a mile or so up, uh, there was a woman walking on the side of the highway. And I was like, holy shit. You know, I don't, uh, I can really empathize with all sorts of people. And I don't ever really want to get anybody in trouble. But something in me was like, you do need to call about this
1: because this could be serious. It more than likely was a domestic. And domestics are very serious. Most of our... A lot of our trauma and injuries come from domestics. Boyfriend, uh,
0: girlfriend, husband, wife.
1: Husband, wife uh, is true. Um, sometimes just uh, friends mm-hmm. have, will uh, somebody owes somebody money or something. But nevertheless, uh, right now in the situation we are with the COVID and everything, our dispatchers are one they're super good and they, the incoming call, they inquire, even to the point of asking if they have, have, or have had uh, the 19. And then we get it all on our cell phones. We have what's called an active, and all the information is there. So prior to getting to the address, which we can GPS and go to, we... Uh, we are, we are alerted that of what it is. Lots of times, most domestics are resolved, or at least the parties, as they call it, the parties are separated. If they're separated, we can slow down off of lights and, and siren. Uh, but if it's bad, which it sometimes is, and involves either fist or knives or even a weapon of some sort, Uh, we have to maintain as much uh, time as we can to get there uh, because it is serious. And oddly enough, domestics, most of them are not drug-related. They're Mm relationship-related. So it becomes a factor of he said, she said.
0: I've heard a psychologist say that um, the majority of murders are— People who know each other, and with alcohol. So yeah, I mean, everyone everyone knows you can get in a heated fight with the person that you love, and I'm sure things get out of hand sometimes for some folks.
1: It's, it does. It's uh, particularly now. There's a surge in that domestics, like I was speaking of, because people are have lost their jobs. Oh yeah, or they didn't have one to start with, and they were living on. Uh, what, whatever they could, which is government funding, our or sorts. And uh, people now, in our area, in our county particularly, there's a, there's people are on edge. Yeah. And our bigger towns, like I've spoke of before, say, for instance, Cassville, what used to be a rolling, friendly atmosphere, you could go into one of the convenience stores and to get gas and then go in to get a sandwich or whatever. And there was a lot of joking going on. There was a lot of uh, fun poking at people. That's gone. Hmm. That's gone simply because people are tired of this. Hmm. And there's a lot of hypocrisy that amounts to this is just all a make-believe thing that one party or the other is doing to, yeah. to win the election, which is just an just an idea of what the people... Feel
0: that's the, that's what you're sensing is the atmosphere of, of what the people's feelings are.
1: They've changed. Mm, they've, they've changed, changed from uh, this is that's the the unconsciousness of what this is doing to people. Yes, um, like yourself and and I sitting here talking, uh, we're keeping our distance, so we don't have masks on because uh, the air is. is clear, but the thing is, when people cannot be anywhere from intimate to uh, to a friendly relationship, or argue even about what's for supper because there's no supper, then things have changed. Mm. Mm. So it's it's just a given, and <clears throat> until we are able to come up with a solution in a vaccine form or. Uh, something that will be a plasma-like form that will prohibit the growth, mm. we have to learn to live with it. Mm. Right now, schools are a big concern. Mm. And it's it's unbelievable the amount of people that just do not are even refuse to wear a mask. Mm. And it's within their rights to do that.
0: Yeah, we were just in Tennessee and, and you have to wear them in Tennessee. Yes. So we we've been so we've been driving towards Colorado. And I was telling you, we're not even going into gas stations. We've been eating, we've been having our lunch in parks and on the river and and going to the bathroom in the woods if possible. Just uh not trying not really to avoid all human beings.
1: It's it's a good idea, but in the same aspect, uh, of course with the work that you do and we're doing right now. But the same aspect is in our area, like I was describing earlier. Regardless of what our feelings are about the disease, we still have been able to maintain a friendly, helpful relationship between mm-hmm. neighbors. Mm-hmm. That, if a neighbor has an accident, we're there. And but that's not happening in the majority of the more crowded containment areas Mm -hmm. and then the fact that jobs have been displaced uh we're seeing a shortage of money uh we see two parties in washington dc that apparently cannot settle on what is required to maintain some type of life we're starting to see more homeless people because they've been evicted Hmm.
0: Out in the country.
1: Out in the country.
0: So okay, that doesn't even make sense to me. Like, what? What does that mean? Where they're just, are, folks are just like camping out in the fields and stuff. Sleeping really, on the they roads?
1: they don't have any place to go. We don't have enough care facilities. Uh, we have a good Clark Center, as, we, as it's called, that helps people with problems. But the sheer fact that, uh, in one case that I just worked last week, it was. Um, And I'm still very familiar with it and working with it. Um, We have a large chicken plant processing unit in uh, Butterfield, which is north of Cassville. And I was called by the health department and by the owner of the house that these two young couples, they're not married, but they're two young couples. They've got a nine-month-old baby. And... She works at the chicken plant, George's.
2: Mm.
1: He was, and he got terminated for whatever reason. And in my eyes, I judge him almost as worthless Mm. because he's home, she's working. They refused or didn't have the finances to pay their utility bill. Mm. So for the last nine days... With me pressuring him all I could and working with the landlord, um, I give him the ultimatum: uh, use some of her money that she makes to turn the utilities back on. We got a nine-month-old baby living in a house with no air conditioning mm. because of electricity's off, no water mm. because the of electricity's off, and I I don't tolerate that. Mm. So it that's the changes we're seeing is. Mm. Uh, people are just getting by the best way they can. And a lot of times it's not a legal best way. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes, it does.
0: Wow, man. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it's getting heavy out here and getting heavy obviously all over the world. Um, wow. Well, let's bring it back to why I'm here, which yeah. is, <laughs> which is, um, I started trapping this year. I'm really interested in you know I love all the nature and I love a new way to connect with animals that I barely knew anything about through trapping. You know you get to learn more about animals, learn more about um, their habitat and tracking and all that stuff. So yeah, we were heading this way. I found you on the Missouri Trapping Association website, and here I am to talk to you about trapping. Um, Would you tell us what? So which critters are you mainly focused on?
1: Well, we have a large selection of critters. Um, you follow the money market and the fur market, and which I might add right now, or Reddit is in the process of crashing uh, with the main world buyers being China uh, as one. Russia was uh, number two okay, with their so, economy. So, so that's where it comes from.
0: So I, because I interview such different types of people, I think we need to... Um, describe a little bit about how the fur works. So people go out and fur trap and then they can sell those pelts and it goes to the fur market and you actually are a fur buyer. So trappers can come to you and sell their furs. That's correct. And then the industry is really not in America anymore. Uh, I've only learned this from listening to trapping podcasts and whatnot. But so the industry, like you were saying, is in Asia and in Russia, basically.
1: Uh, and you can throw in, uh, which would still be Asia, North Korea or South Korea, uh, Taiwan. Uh, then we can move over to Italy. Italy is a fair pur- a purchaser. But the whole idea is demand is dependent upon people having the money to buy the fur processed. Nothing mo- nothing more beautiful than a a tanned otter jacket or whatever. That came from a wildlife animal out here uh, in our woods and in our creeks and lakes. So so that, are... that process is
0: the skinning and then the fleshing. You remove all the fat and mm-hmm. you have to do it to a certain level. And then you board it up. And a lot of the boards kind of, um, they look like a thin um, iron, iron board. And you kind of tack up the hides to those boards or... Um, and then once those are dry, they're shelf-stable, but not for an extraordinary long time. So you have to get them tanned, and then they're sold into the fur market. Is that well, correct?
1: Well, true. Uh, what you're talking about basically is beavers, and beavers do have to be mounted on a large 4 by 4 piece of plywood, mm-hmm. and they are mounted in a circle, and uh, that's after they've been skinned and, and fleshed. And then they're allowed to dry. Once they're dry, then a beaver will pretty much keep indefinitely for up to a year. Interesting. Okay. But at the same time, the beaver's value is what we call casters. And the casters are right now where the the value is of the beaver. In other words, I might be able to pay between $1 and $5 for a large beaver. But what I'm really after is the castors, and that is glands that beavers have that secrete a fluid that marks their territory. And that also is what is used in 90 percent of the lures that trappers use. That's the base. Uh, the, the odor of the castor is used as an attractant for all species I'm um, you know so it's and
0: for perfume
1: right and perfume. Uh, and it's an
0: extraordinary smell. There's nothing else on earth that smells like it. Nothing
1: smells like castor.
0: And it, it is quite, at least for me, because I'm a beginner, it's quite strong when you're working with the beaver, when you're skinning it out. And, you know, we eat, we ate all of our beavers. So, while I'm butchering it, you know, I really try to not get that castor on the meat. Absolutely. Because it will, you you can't, it's inedible. And sure. I messed up the first one. And that flavor in the background of my food, I really did not like. <laughs> but once I was careful, then... Um, then it went great and I was telling you that I'm my castor glands are still in the freezer but um, I have a friend who's a, an herbalist mm-hmm. and um, she's a perfumer so I'm planning to give her some of those so at yeah. least a few of those casters for her well, work. that's
1: that's that's how you work it uh, and the caster market is so strong or was uh, because for so long fur prices particularly beavers beavers pelts are sold to what is called hatters. Hatters is people that literally work with the beaver skin. Uh, Beavers don't lend themselves well to coats as much as they do to a hat or to a shawl, something like that, as far as body shape. So that's where the hatter market is, and the hatter market's at that price. But to catch those beavers, you've got to have casters that can be mixed with other body fluids, whether it be urine, or scent packs, or whatever, to draw the animal that you're trying to catch, uh, you you obviously try to set the trap where you think the animal is traveling. So
0: a lure is a is a scent is it's a it'll be like a little jar and it's a scent that you put near your set. Yes. To to attract the whatever critter you're targeting, you use different lures it, to attract them towards your set. And then at the set, sometimes you have bait, sometimes you have no lure. There, are, there's all these different types of sets that people do.
1: There is. There's, there's multiple sets, uh, and they dictate to what the animal is you're trying to catch, whether it be, uh, you know, you could start with your water animals like muskrats, mink, and uh, otters, for instance. Uh, otters are bringing a fairly decent price there were, uh, whereas mink have completely collapsed because of the economy and the overstocking of the manufacturers of fur. And what happened was the price on mink, there's there's hundreds of mink farms that can contain anywhere from 10 breeding uh, couples to 150, 200 breeding couples just almost like a uh, a large chicken so, processing.
0: So, like normal farming, there's there's just like kind of like the factory farm version of fur and then what you do is you're getting wild fur. You're a trapper fur. and you're following all these rules that every year are put out in a manual that are specific to like how many you can harvest, what kind of traps you can do, what dates you can do it, but you're targeting wild furs.
1: That's correct, and where the Farming Mink cor- uh, Corporation is, is the fact that by breeding uh, carefully, they can get a distinct and perfect color that doesn't change, and that line color, let's say it's the uh, the lighter yellow, yellow brown that is really attractive to women or to men, that... Um, they don't have to, with with farm, you've got twelve. You've got twelve kits there that you can process, and you you can use all twelve to make the garment. Okay, but in the wild, our mink come in all colors. They come in black, uh, blackish brown, almost a blue, yellow, reddish yellow, and it takes multiple catches of whatever color you're after. And that means multiple time on setting traps, multiple times on rerunning the traps. So the mink market collapsed because the farming market for mink remained strong until this all happened. And now it's collapsed too. Uh, That's, you know,
0: my girlfriend and I, we like eccentric things. So to me, it'd be so much cooler to have um, a fur product that was patchy. You know, one of our goals, I think, is we might start collecting because I, you know, I'm super new. I only got a handful of mm-hmm. creatures uh, this past season. I think one of our goals will be to make start making a collection over the years, and then have a, a blanket made that's kind of like this medieval patchwork of all different
1: uh, characters. That would that would be beautiful. Uh, that's what's not realized. And you're talking about a blanket or a large area of furs that. Uh, you could use for a throw or whatever, mm-hmm. and it would be, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's an art in itself, similar to making blankets around in this area. My buddy's wife up here is an expert blanket maker using patchwork pieces of cloth, mm-hmm. and she turns out beautiful items. Like a quilt, you mean? Oh yes, quilts, mm-hmm. quilts, and half quilts, and uh, and
0: quilts are often you use scraps, right? Scraps, right? Of fabric. You
1: use scrap material. See, that's same what thing I thing you're with my talking fur about. Yeah, same thing I love you're talking that. about. So cool. And um, there's a market for that. It used to be really strong where blankets or quilts of that nature would main, bring three to $500 handmade. Oh. Hand wow, very cool. Now it's dropped down to around $150, $200. But it's a unique one person diagram of how they put it together. It's not a machine that grabs a piece of cloth, another piece of cloth, and does the stitch. This is hand it's made. folk art. It's folk art.
0: Yes. And That's that is right. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't get to which critters are which critters are you targeting and which ones do you really like, okay. like pursuing Yeah, I get
1: straying off again. Hey, no problem. <laughs> well we're this we is free flowing <laughs> free flowing. We have in this in this area we have uh the coyote. We have red fox, we have gray fox, we have bobcat. Uh, We have uh, land animals or uh, some people want us to get rid of groundhogs and so forth. No value there. But our prime species is just what I mentioned being right now at this particular time coyotes and bobcats and otters maybe as the third one of having the most value for for. Me to resale. Coons are a worldwide market and were at one time in 1970s, when I was a lot younger, I was averaging $30 a coon pill Mm. regardless of what the color was or the size because it was high and high demand. It's got long guard fur, dense under fur, and so it makes a warm coat or it makes a warm uh, clothing that can withstand cold temperatures the market became overpopulated as all things will and crashed coons in our area here now because of our their collars and so forth uh they look like they're going to nudge up a little bit it's a possibility we might see between seven and ten dollars ten dollars for a large coon whereas i was getting thirty dollars or better bobcats are another situation bobcats our area are beautiful animals to us but bobcats again in the western part of the of the continental united states and into alberta and up into canada they have a much heavier spotted belly where and this is what makes the attractive neck pieces around any type of garment okay mm-hmm. then they have a wider back that's more consistent in color and the further you can get those spots up on that side of the animal or on its back even, uh, the more you're going to get for it. Hmm. It's not unusual. Uh, a year ago, it wouldn't be unusual to be uh, to buy a Wyoming cat for $1,500. Holy smokes. One snuff. cat. Wow. Wow. So it's not unusual at all. Coyotes would bring between 8 and a 1,000. Wow. Same way. That's real. Here, the averages fall down. The further east you go, until you get up into the northern states Maine Vermont Massachusetts stuff like that where they still trap uh, the prices would come back up because here again the genetics are the same in the animals from animal to animal within that text mm-hmm. a cow it's a cow so, so so what I from what
0: I've heard listening to a lot of guys that have been really into this for years decades of their life is um, this is. Trapping is really becoming a dying art because even if you can make a little bit of money, it's obvious that no one's doing this to make as a really as their job. They're doing this because they love doing it. That's correct. I because other I, than those other than those two examples you just gave, usually a pelt is not bringing you more than a few dollars.
1: Not the time you count, uh, for me, let's say for me to pelt out a coyote, uh, uh, Let's say that I spend an hour on a coyote, just uh, pelting it and what we call beaming, or scraping the fat off with uh, comparable wages. And then, and then
0: you pin it to a board to dry out. Uh,
1: on a coyote, you pull them over a form. Mm-hmm. Uh, beavers are basically the only. Uh, it's a wo- it's a piece of wood, though. It's a piece. No, it can be wood. Yes, okay. it can be wood. I use war stretchers. Okay. Because of the ease of, of getting it, and I can tell quicker when the uh, hide is, is turning to, to and not rotting or not spoilage. Not um, I do use, uh, on beaver, I use boards, and on otter tails, I use boards because their tails must be open and nailed all the way down to the tip from the back of the hips. Uh, so, because there's a use for the otter tail. What's the use? The use would be, again, trim. Okay. and um, I can't believe how
0: thick that fur
1: is because I got one otter this year. It's waterproof.
0: It's unbelievable. It it almost feels like a wetsuit, like a neoprene
1: wetsuit. It is. And when it's sheared, it's even better because of the undercoat. And that's what a lot of people forget about is that trapping entails so much uh, from the time the animal is captured to the time it is on the bill uh, clothes rack of what all has gone into it. So you're figuring, if I figure myself at skinning a cow at $5, and I make, I, at at the job with the sheriff's department where I am, uh, let's say I make $12 an hour, 13 whatever it is, I have to figure that same ratio, if I expect to make any profit, of my time spent on each pelt. Mm-hmm. And that's a cost factor that I must determine, or I'll lose money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yes, I, you know, I buy, I buy from my local trappers because they're fighting the same battle. Mm-hmm. And the local trappers, I've, you know, I've had for years, they come to me. Uh, they know that I'm not going to feed them any BS, mm. that I'll tell them what I think of the pelt. I'll throw a price out there. We may haggle a little bit. Uh, And then we'll settle. The bottom line is, I am pushing so hard to get young people involved in it. And I've got a term being with public relations and working with schools and working with kids on that. I've got some young trappers that are phenomenal. And we're talking, we're talking trappers less than 25 years old, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: on down to perhaps 12, 13, 14 years old. And they are, They are thrilled. The first time you walk up on a bobcat, for instance, as a young person, and know that you have fooled it, and it's there alive, and it's an experience that really can't be related unless you are familiar with the outdoors. So this
0: is what, because I'm new, this is what I'm finding interesting, because uh to be honest I lived in a city for a long time and I learned I've been hunting for 3 years and so learning to kill something has been pretty intense and the trapping has been pretty intense for me just because this this is I didn't grow up like this and it's obviously you're taking life and I've been trying to think about what is it that I really like about trapping and it's the it's this making of the set it's the setting up it's reading the animal sign and setting up and then finding out that by using your intuition and what you're learning that you were able to actually place something where an animal would go or and draw it to it, draw it to it or draw mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. it. And that is that, that's the exciting part, making those sets, you know, with my, my girlfriend helped in a little muskrat pond, a farmer didn't really want these muskrats cutting down all this little cattails. Mm-hmm. And you know, the two of us in the mud and um, we we were, we were building a little fence. So you take sticks and you stick them in, you know, all this, I'm just saying this for the listener. That's fine. You take sticks and you put them, you put the sticks in the mud and you create a channel and you kind of make a fence. So that was the really exciting part and setting up the trap right in that little funnel pinch point that we had created. Like that's the exciting part. And, um, yeah, so I'm, Oh, okay. So you were talking about getting kids involved. So did you, were you doing this as a kid? Like how did you get into trapping?
1: My, my dad and my uncle. At that time, we lived over the next in the next county, uh, Stone County, and I was born and raised there, on a farm and on James River, which is one of the main feeder rivers to Table Rock Lake that we have now in our southern border. And at the age of, I mean, not only trapping, we gigged, uh, what's called gigging for suckers and carp, you know, to eat. So that's uh, where you, you spear the fish. We we actually spear the fish with a long wooden handled uh, prong with either two or three or four prongs on it. You it's kind of
0: like a trident.
1: Right. You use uh, use a light. Of course it's after night. And I want to uh,
0: try frogging this season yeah, this year. Same I wanna way, try
1: it. Same way, except you can grab the frogs by hand, and this you're using the spear. But um, the idea that they started taking me when I was probably six or seven years old. And from that time on, I distinctly remember when I was, I was just getting ready to turn nine and I was badgering my parents and my uncles that I wanted to run a trap line. Now, mind you, this is on a pretty good-sized river, but I wanted to run it myself. I'd gone with them hundreds of times. And there was something about not only just going down and finding a trapped animal, but something about being on a river, on your own, with no fear. Mm -hmm. It's an accomplishment, maybe a step towards manhood. I don't know Mm -hmm. as far as that. I just feel comfortable. So they turned me loose, and they put me in at one drop-in point.
0: I I want to pause you for a second. I so living in a city for a while and kind of doing a lot of stupid, stupid crap, just getting drunk for years and years of my life. I did find that moving down to Virginia and learning to hunt did have this uh, essence of an, an archetypal ritual of manhood. Mm-hmm. And my feeling was once you've taken an animal's life, you know, for your food, for a deer, um, you're no longer a boy. There's no way. No. Like when you've done something so intense as taking life, you're, you're a man now you're an adult and now you're a responsible adult, hopefully. Um, so I do think there's something in, you know, you're doing that at nine years old, I'm doing that at 30 years old, yeah. but you go and setting up your own trap line, the element of maturity to that, I think is really fascinating.
1: It is um, the first time you, uh, the first time after you go down by yourself uh, there is a, there is a subconscious. Can I really do this? And then, as you progress down the river, or wherever your trapping is by yourself, you begin to gain that confidence. And when you come to the first animal in a trap, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but when you trap an animal and you come walking up on it, there is a feeling of uh, elation it, that. I actually caught that animal which doesn't prove that I'm smarter than the animal. It proves that I have watched what I've done to get to that point. And I have overcome certain fears and I have overcome certain uh, thoughts that I'm not capable. I've proved myself. And that's where Mm -hmm. you change. The thing that is the hardest thing to fight and in my raising, and I've been here several years, thank goodness. But in my raising, to harvest an animal was not considered cruelty. Yeah, of course. It's a, you
0: grew up a very different lifestyle than someone in the suburbs or in the city.
1: And now, you have to be particularly cautious about um, trapped animals that have been put out. Uh, put have been. Humanely altered or killed, okay. That's uh, you have to incorporate that into the thought of what it finishes up being in a code or whatever it might be. But there's a lot of people, uh, not naming any organizations, but there's a lot of people that have progressed past the point where they don't need the garment or they don't need the uh, the beauty and they have been compelled to feel that that is cruelty to animals. Mm -hmm. They haven't looked any deeper than the face on the front page to see that some trapper has shot a beaver or has choked a a bobcat down. They don't look any further to see that the critter that, that they just see as dead Might have been a critter that was, in our example here, uh, we had two coons, which I ultimately caught, destroy 11 of our laying hens and the chickens. What'd they They, do, the chickens? They killed them and ate them. they rip them up? They would rip the head off. They would open up the breast area, eat all of that, and then depart, and... To me, that's no that's that's nature at work, mm-hmm. but we have interfered with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have built farms and we have built chicken houses and we have uh, cattle. We in our country now we now have bears mm. and we now have a few mountain lions. Yes, that has progressed into this this area because we're still basically the Ozark hills and canyons. But what I'm getting at is that people's People has forgot how to need something, and forgot how to get it. In reference to uh, furs, in reference to meat, as you're talking about deer hunting and so forth, that is a gone, a gone past. And now what we do is construed as cruel, mm-hmm. and it's not. I'm with you.
0: I, I, I'm with you. It can be. I mean, it certainly can be tough when you're not used to it, and uh, obviously, it demands a lot of respect. Um, and it also enriches your life. It's an, an an instinctual experience that you know. I've you read it in books, but it's very odd. But that the pursuing of the creature, the learning all about it, and then the eventual killing, and then the doing something with it using the fur or um, you know, eating its flesh, mm-hmm. it creates one. You have stories that are attached to the, to your food or towards a garment you have, and two, it makes you love things you wouldn't normally love. Like, there's no way in hell if I still lived in New York City that I would give a shit about a muskrat. A mm-hmm. muskrat. I mean, mm-hmm. most people would be creeped out by it. It mm-hmm. looks like a weird little wet rat with yes. a big rat tail, and it's not a rat. Um, and you know, we've me and my girlfriend we've eaten two. And i was saying this might be the best wild game I've ever eaten. So now I love muskrats. And I would have never normally cared about a muskrat. Wouldn't give an, I wouldn't have cared at all about them.
1: And you harvest it for a need. Yeah. Beaver, muskrat are good. I have never been tempted to try, but I've had people that I'm, I'm friends with, close with, that say bobcat is excellent. I wanted
0: to ask you, because I'm going to plan to try to get a bobcat up in our national forest. Yeah. And I'm going that I'm going to eat. Now, um, because I've heard it, it's like mountain lion and they both have a pork-like flavor. Yes, they both have a I heard that. Pork. I was doing a class with the Virginia Trappers Association. There was actually a bunch of game wardens in the class, which was really cool to take it with mm-hmm. them. But um, the guy leading the class, he was a taxidermist. And he was saying, hey, you know, the backstraps on these bobcats, they're pretty damn good. They're very mm-hmm. delicious. Now, in my freezer right now, I still have a raccoon that I'm planning to eat. Have you ever eaten a raccoon?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm not a big fond of them or possums. I have a possum in the freezer, another, too. Another, uh, but possums used to be the mainstay of a lot of dinners in the early 1900s. Uh, uh, my dad was born in 1911. Uh, Do you know how they would cook the possum? They actually actually baked it, de- de- similar to what would be... A, a turkey mm. that you go buy for Thanksgiving and, mm. and put dressing around it, maybe stuff it, and then put it in the oven and bake it for X number of hours, whatever it amounts to. Possums are treated the same way. Possums, to me, have a kind of stringy taste, uh, and it's probably more mental in mm. my head. Um, it would be—people uh, would—I mean— Obviously, if a bobcat's good to eat, a house cat would be good to eat, but Mm. you don't see people eating house cats Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. because of a total turn. It's not a wild animal. It's a pet or an animal that's feral, as we call them. And those things, are they don't appeal to the appetite. Mm. Um, It's the same way with skunks. For instance, uh, I'll get a skunk occasionally, and skunks happen to be one of the few items, if they have a lot of white on the back and the tail and everything, that are bringing a few bucks. But inevitably, when you catch a skunk, it's going to raise a stink. That's something to say that way. But what we're talking about is that's a defensive weapon of the skunk. And to a lot of people, it's horrible. I tolerate the smell because I've gotten used to it over the years but it doesn't mean that I want to uh, I want to wear something that's got skunk over it all, all the time mm-hmm. whereas with skunk and their glands are also used for f- perfume
0: yeah I've heard that from the fur biologist that mm-hmm. I talked to that's yep. really fascinating um, well is there a particular animal that that you enjoy the
1: most i would probably say the dog family coyotes, red fox, gray fox, because cows uh cows are let's say on the intelligence level are equal to maybe a, a young a, a young adult of between seven, nine years old. Uh, you pinch a cow and he gets free. Uh, you'll not catch him in number one you'll not catch him in the set area ever again Uh, number two you won't be able to fool him with the same lures that you did he'll never respond to those lures again Uh, also the fact that he becomes more conscious of what's around him meaning if he sees my truck come in um Every morning, I say it, you know, at 5 o'clock in the morning or whatever time I'm out there in the field. He has already associated that truck with danger. Hmm. Coyotes are smart. That's fascinating. And bobcats would be, bobcats are fascinating in that they're like any kind of a cat. They are intrigued by things they don't understand or don't, they see and don't see what they are. And I do some predator calling. And bobcats are one of the easier animals to call in that you can actually harvest by shooting with either a mouth call or with uh, recording. And the mouth call, it's a rabbit distress? It rabbit distress. So it is, sounds uh, like a scared rabbit right. or a rabbit uh, being killed? scared rabbit. Uh, birds are awful good for bobcats. I u- generally use a bird squealer that... Imitates a bird that's uh, that's been caught or or whatever, but the coyotes, on a whole large percentage, will come in. Let's let's say let's say seventy percent of the coyotes that hear a sound will come in, but they will pull up and hold and look the situation over. So your camouflage, your uh, where you're dealing with them has to be almost perfect in most cases some some young cows that haven't learned these lessons or haven't been taught by their parents will come charging in and almost run over you mm. and whereas a bobcat for instance will using a bird call for instance a bobcat you'll never see until he exposes himself which at the time may not be any further than let's say, 10 to 20 yards from you before you'll pick him out of the cover. Mm. You'll very seldom, you'll see bobcats run edges of woods, but you won't see them in an open field. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. So, in that aspect, you're looking at a particular area and you see nothing. You turn your head, look at another area and look back and the bobcat's there. And it's it that is a... That is both an elating feeling and it's also an eerie feeling to mm-hmm. know that that animal got that close to you mm-hmm. and you didn't see it. Wow. That's super cool.
0: Yeah. It, that's, you know, when you walk around the woods at night and you see eyes looking at you, mm-hmm. it's always an eerie feeling, even if it's a deer. So I can only imagine a little predator like that. And I just talked to the fur bear biologist in Virginia and he said, Bobcats got no problem taking down a deer. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Um, So I wanted to ask, do you have a story um, from whenever, childhood, your adult years? Oh, gosh. Uh,
1: You know, really speaking, I didn't grow up until I got back out of the Army uh, drinking. Of course, we called it Chasing Girls back in those days. We never done anything that was um, that was destructive or growing up, uh, growing up on the farm, doing farm work and providing for the family from the farm. And when I did screw up, so to speak, uh, the correction came from my dad, sometimes mom, but my correction came from them and a certain amount of respect was built into um, to into me. Uh, in other words, I've always used the example of, uh, I came home one night, been drinking, I drove, uh, don't even remember getting there. Uh, I stumbled out of the vehicle and up to the front porch and started to open the door, and the old man met me at the door. My brother, who was 10 years older than me, had killed himself because of alcoholism. And my dad stepped to the door and said, uh, my nickname is Butch, but he said, uh, Butch, go to the barn, sleep in the barn. I was 16, 17 years old. I said, I ain't going in the barn. And he said, yes, you are. And uh, I said, You can't make me. That's something you'll never want to do to a parent that is responsible to their children. I tried to fight the old man. I thought I could whoop him. He kicked my butt all over the place, and I slept in the barn that night. Next morning, everything was normal. I'd sobered up. Mom had breakfast ready. But Mom, because of losing her son to alcoholism to the point of where he killed his suicide, Dad knew that she couldn't tolerate a second son being lost to that. And basically after that, I never done it again. I mean, I drank, but I never done it where it would offend my family or anybody that would be offended by that. But those are stories that that you should now be learning as a youth now, and it's not there. In my opinion, it's not there. Raising a child has changed. Uh, when dad one of the cruelest things that dad could do with me when I messed up. And I will admit, 99% of the time, when I'd done something wrong, I knew it. And I knew I was going to get a spanking or a whipping or whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, there was a comical aspect to it. Dad would say, okay, boy, go out there and get me a branch. And I don't want it dead. I want a green branch that I'm going to whip your butt with it would take hours to find the proper branch. And he knew it. He was laughing his off on it, you know, because just the sheer fact that I anticipated a whooping and and probably 90% of the time didn't when I brought him the switch, as they were called.
0: So uh, what kind
1: of tree did it end up being from? Uh, Dad had a grape harbor a and a peach orchard. Mm. and it ended up being a wispy little peach orchard. Do you with, hate peaches now? No, no, don't hate peaches. Kind of like got one growing out there in my backyard. <laughs> uh, there's so been lots of instances, instances trees.
0: where we have actually... Uh, Do you have any other nature stories that might come up to mind? Uh, any encounter with a really special an animal?
1: As much as I tournament fish, bass tournaments, and as much the time as I used to spend on the lake and, and winning money and all of that good stuff that goes with tournament fishing, you never really come out ahead, but it's fun. It, to me, it's fun to catch fish. It's something that I work hard at, but I don't know how many times I've had a new partner or a friend go along with me and we have what what we call, as a native name, Cotton mouse. But they're really a moccasin. That is a venomous water snake that is very aggressive. I have gone down banks throwing crankbaits and my partner or whatever, too. And I've had one particular guy, and, and uh, he, was, he was not only a scared of snakes, but he was drawn to them. And... We were cruising the bank and, and fishing ahead of the boat, and he, um, he seen this cottonmouth, as we call him, or moccasin. He seen it laying in a tree limb overhanging the water. And it so fascinated him that, uh, he just kept staring at it. And I told him, I said, Guy, quit looking at the damn snake. Why? I said, because he'll be over here in a minute if you keep it up. And whatever you do, don't throw the crankbait near the limb and crank it back, which he did. And as soon as the crankbait hit the water under the limb, the moccasin, the cottonmouth, fell off, rolled off the limb and into the water. Water snakes, which we have abundance of, are non non lethal in any form no poison they somewhat match a, a modeling but a, a full-grown moccasin or cotton mouth will be basically black or at least black tinted enough that you can tell and whereas a water snake will absolutely uh, the, if he's if he's swimming on or near the top of the water his head will be out of the water that's all the rest of his body's underwater and he's undulating and going a cottonmouth when they hit the water will float and they will come to you this particular cottonmouth attempted to climb in my bass boat which is at the back he attempted to climb in by you know reaching up and trying to raise up enough to get in and i and my buddy is freaking out at this time and i'm laughing my ass off to be quite true Because I knew I could take a rod tip and and whack him and he probably would back off. But the aggression was there. He wanted in the boat with us simply because he had been irritated or violated his territory. Who knows? But he came. He didn't swerve. He came straight to the boat. Uh, I took a paddle and and pushed him off and then whacked him with a paddle. Whether I killed him or not, I don't know. Uh, but he left us lonely, and we got out of there. God put those creatures here for a reason. It speaks of it in the Bible, that we were to learn how to domesticate certain animals. Um, you know, the snake is always used as a viper in the Bible. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a different temperament. One of the more exciting, unbelievable things was uh, catching a really large bobcat, and I used a catch pole, which is an extended pole with a loop on one end and a handle on the other that pulls the cable through. And I caught, for our area, a bobcat that well, weighed well over thirty pounds, which is quite large, and was very. And I walked up to him and I spoke to him. He, Normally when you uh, let an animal hear a human voice, they react either by drawing back or by spitting or even coyotes will bark or howl at a person walking up. This cat didn't do anything but just sat there. And so I walked up and actually talked to it and it actually acted like it was paying attention. So I... I uh, took it, I took the pole and told it what I was going to do. And I know this sounds really strange. I'm going to put this loop over your head and around your neck. And I'm going to pull it reasonably tight. I was talking dislike like to a human. And lo and behold, the cat never objected. Never. It wasn't sick. It wasn't injured badly. And that was an animal upon taking it. And freeing it from the trap and then pushing it out of ways and then putting my foot on the pole. That was an animal that I really, truly didn't want to dispose of. Uh, whether you'd call it an instant, instant attachment or because it was cooperative, but it seemed like it knew its faith. I ultimately did have to shoot it. But, um, uh, I done it quickly and without. And, uh, but it, it gives you pause for thought.
0: All right. Well, it's actually getting later in the afternoon. We're going to have to head on out of here. So. Yeah, you're going to be late. So for I think we're going to close it up. But huh? hey, I appreciate talking to you, man. Really fascinating. Oh, I do too. And I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to get a coyote and a bobcat this year. And, um, you know, I'm a little, have a, some trepidation because. You know, in my first first time, it might be a little hard to do the whole coyote killing thing. Um, and the bobcat, I feel less intense about, and I might even try to eat the coyote if I if I get one. I might try it.
1: I've you never know? tried dogs, so yeah, yeah.
0: Obviously, in Asia, they eat eat them. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, but I, to have a big, you know, when I lived back in New York, I used to dress pretty wild and fancy, mm-hmm. and I had a, a from an antique store. I had this amazing. Like, almost um, ankle-length Russian military coat from, Mm -hmm. like, the probably, like, the 1960s or something. World War II. Yeah, that kind of... And it was beautiful. And on the collar, I wore this huge fur collar that, um, you know, at the time, I would wear these furs, and I have no idea what animal it was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even think that I would ever become a trapper one day. But so, to think... And, you know, seeing a dead coyote on the side of the road, I was like, I think that's the fur I've been wearing is a coyote. And I would love to one day be able to wear, you know, my own coyote pelt. And I'd probably leave the tail and leave the feet and the head. And uh, a bobcat, you know, we my girlfriend and I have been thinking that uh, we might start saving a little bit of money every year to have one new species taxidermied. Mm -hmm. So last year we had a Uh, a river otter taxidermied. And, you know, we're both really into like, old right. school Victorian naturalism. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, okay, last year we got the river otter. It's going to be like one of the one of the, like the focuses inside of our cabin, like this beautiful river otter uh, to talk about and teach people mm-hmm. about river otters. And so I don't know what this year's species would be, but it would be amazing one day to have a taxidermy bobcat, to have eaten some bobcat, and just have this incredible new experience with a new animal. Out in the it, woods. it
1: is. I, I don't blame you for experimenting. And that's what it is, Mm -hmm. because if it's distasteful, you're not going to do it again. Exactly. And but it's like my you've got this beautiful bobcat that I was am very proud of, and also in taking that bobcat, uh, I was guiding deer hunters in Kansas, and in taking that bobcat, uh, he was feeding on a large flock of turkeys. Wow! Which we have here in huge amounts, but. That was his foliage, and that's one reason he got big, one reason his, his pelt is so prime. Uh, good diet. A good diet. But it was destructive to the turkeys. Mm. Think about it. Yeah, I of mean, course, of course. Somebody's going to—it's kind of like this virus. Somebody's going to have to give up a life for all the rest of us to exist for one more day.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: Hmm.
0: Simple. Yeah, I mean, death is, is much of— Existence is life, you know, obviously. Yeah. So the the hunter and the trapper and even, you know, farming, you're just engaged in life and death. That's you're right. You're part of the process and it's it's reality. And you're just choosing to be more in it than than
1: the modern man and woman. The times change. We talked about that earlier on yeah. in this. Times are changing. Yeah. And I see more radical change coming from this period than we'll be accustomed to for quite a while.